Well, I thought it was wonderful to see all those young people line up here across the stage leading us in worship. Wasn't that exciting? It was to me. You know, you don't have to read the Bible for very long to notice this theme emerging about passing the faith along to the next generation. It's a major emphasis in Scripture that part of our role as parents and, and just members of society is to pass the faith along to another generation. And uh, as I looked up here and saw two of my daughters and, and people their age and a little older and a little younger, and really exciting to see that next generation here leading us with such passion before the Lord. It's exciting, isn't it? Today we're come together in one service to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so I want to share with you the passage in Scripture where the Lord's Supper was, was instituted, that is, uh, where, it, where it began. And we're going to talk about why we celebrate the Lord's Supper and, and what it means. And so Matthew chapter 26, verse 17 is where we're going to be at in just a moment. If you want to go ahead and begin turning in your Bibles, it's a passage where Jesus is celebrating the Passover and he, in the middle of that experience, institutes the Lord's Supper. We begin to think about who we are. We are, we are multifaceted creatures. We have the ability to be analytical thinkers, but yet we also have emotions. We also have the ability to be creative in so many different ways. God did not create us as just simple one-dimensional creatures. And so because of that, there's many ways we can communicate, and there's also many ways in which we can receive communication. And what we see throughout the Bible is that God speaks to us in many different ways. So that he addresses at times as our analytical side as he gives us commands and instructions through Paul's letters and some of the other passages in Scripture. And then we see God sharing historical narrative, explaining what he's done. We see Jesus using parables to illustrate things. And we see God speaking to our emotions and also to our creative ability. So God speaks to us in different ways to touch every single part of us. And the Lord's Supper is, is one of the ways that God has spoken to us and asked us to speak to one another as a, as a symbol. We think about the, the power of a symbol. A symbol is when one thing represents another thing. And the power in this relationship is that sometimes something very small or very simple can represent something that's extremely complex and extremely profound. If we think for a moment about the symbol of the American flag, that, that flag is really, in, in its smallest form, it's, it's a piece of cloth with three colors on it. That's all it is. And yet that very simple symbol represents our nation's heritage. It represents our, our government. It represents the land that we occupy. It represents us as a people that populate the nation. Such a simple thing represents so much. And so a symbol can be so powerful because a symbol can bring to our mind all kinds of experiences and knowledge and, and emotions about an entity or an event or a person. And just like that very simple flag represents so much more than itself, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper, it's pretty simple too. Under this cloth, we have some bread and we have some juice. That's really all there is to it. It's very simple. 
but it symbolizes something that's extremely profound. It symbolizes God's deliverance of his people. And God's deliverance of his people ultimately through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And so as we look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 through 29, we see the Bible teaching us about when Jesus began to use this simple symbol of bread and juice to represent his body and his blood that was given for us as a sacrifice in our place on the cross so that you and I might live. And we come together as a memorial. That is, we remember what took place. It's a memorial of his death. But we also come together to proclaim the message. In fact, the Bible says that every time that we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 17. I want to ask you, would you join me in standing out of honor and reverence for God's word as we read this together? Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 17, here's what the Bible says. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house and with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he would had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your Son who died for our sin and gave us this symbol to remember and to proclaim him. Lord, I pray today that as we study this passage that speaks of the supper and how it began, I pray that you give us understanding and insight. And Lord, I pray that we would respond in faith and obedience. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. Now, the Passover was a feast that celebrated God's deliverance of his people. And it goes all the way back to the time when 
God's people was in bondage in Egypt. So the Bible says in the passage that we just read, verse 17, now on the first day of unleavened bread. So, so this, is, uh, this unleavened bread, this is, a, this is a festival in which there was no leaven in the house, which is like yeast. And so there was no leaven in the bread. And so that's why in just a moment, uh, when you bite into this bread, it's going to be hard and crunchy because there's no yeast in it to make it rise and make it soft. Because yeast is a symbol of sin in the Bible. And Jesus is absolutely pure and without any sin whatsoever. And so they were celebrating this feast of the unleavened bread, which culminated in the celebration of the Passover. And he said that the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us to prepare to eat the Passover? So, so, they're, so they're gathering together to eat the Passover. You, you may have thought at one time that the Lord's Supper was something that uh, he just kind of drew out of thin air. But no, they were in the middle of celebrating a feast that God had already given them. And Jesus explained the true meaning of this feast and infused it with a whole new meaning as he pointed to himself as the sacrifice and the means of God's deliverance. And so he says, he says, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. So I want us for a moment to understand the timing of what's taking place. This is the last week of Jesus' life on earth before the crucifixion. And in ancient Israel, they counted days beginning with sundown. And so uh, there's a little bit of confusion sometimes when we try to understand the Bible because we think of days from midnight to midnight, but they thought of days from sundown till sundown again. And so uh, that evening that he celebrated was their Friday because Friday began at sundown, but it's our Thursday evening. Because the way that we reckon days, Thursday day and Thursday night, and then Friday by our calendar doesn't start till midnight. So, so for the rest of our message, to avoid confusion, I'm just going to speak about the days, the way that you and I reckon days. But we'll understand that we know the Bible talks about it differently. So it's Thursday day when Jesus says to his disciples to go and prepare for the Passover. And then on Thursday night, they gather together and they eat the Passover and while they're eating the Passover, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper as we have it today. Later, Jesus would be arrested. And the next morning, Friday morning, he would be crucified. And Friday afternoon, he'll die on the cross and be buried. On Sunday morning, which is, by the way, why we don't gather on the Sabbath, which is Saturday. But we gather on Sunday because it's the day that the Lord rose from the dead and so Jesus has gathered together to celebrate the Passover with his disciples now the Passover celebrated God's distinction between his people and the Egyptians in the final plague that he would bring about to bring his people out of Egypt so so let, so let me explain for a moment God raises up Abraham and through Abraham he calls a special people unto himself and later they will go down to Egypt to seek relief from a famine. And as they remain there for 400 years, they grow into this prosperous nation. But Pharaoh, Pharaoh begins to oppress them and use them as slaves and for forced labor. And so God is ready to call his people out of Egypt and into the land that he has promised to give them. Therefore, it's called the promised land. 
And so he's ready to call them out, but Pharaoh doesn't want to get them, let them go because they are free labor for all of his building projects. And so God calls up Moses to be their leader, and God gives Moses the ability to bring plagues upon Pharaoh to demonstrate that God is the one that is truly in control and not the gods of Egypt. And so one after another, these plagues come upon Pharaoh and have varying degrees of effect upon changing his mind and changing his heart. But there's a final plague that causes Pharaoh so much misery and heartache that he agrees to let God's people go. And the plague was that in every household, the firstborn would die. And so the Bible tells us about this in Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Till all the congregation that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Well, on that night, the Lord said that he was going to pass through and he was going to strike the firstborn in every but he tells them how to be exempted from this. If they will follow his instructions, slaughter this lamb and take the blood and smear it over the doorpost. When he sees it, he will pass over their home. That's why it's called the Lord's Passover. There's something very significant about this event, though. If we begin to think about each household, you see, in every single household, Egyptian, Jew, believer, unbeliever every single household there was a death oftentimes i'll teach in a bible study i'll i'll just ask the, the the crowd the question i'll say was there a death in every household and almost immediately there's four or five people that'll speak up and say no not in the not in the not in the in the israelites home only in the egyptians and only those that didn't put the blood over their doorpost but that's not correct in every house, there was a death. For you see, in the Egyptians, it was the death of their firstborn. But for those that believe in God, 
there was a substitute for their firstborn. It was a lamb that died in the place of their firstborn. A lamb died and they were spared. That's why when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Friend, there's nothing about a lamb that can cover your sin. But God taught us through all these acts and through all these symbols what he was going to do ultimately through his son, Jesus Christ. And those Israelites in ancient Egypt, when they heard God give these instructions, do you know why they killed the lamb and they took the blood and they smeared it over their doorpost? It's because they believed. You don't do something crazy like that unless you believe that it is true. And they believed and they put their faith in God. And because of their faith, God spared them from this plague. And in this celebration, we see a picture of what Jesus would do for us. As he would come and he would die for our sin so that he might be our substitute. And when we come to believe and trust in him, then we act upon it. And the Lord's Supper is one of these symbols in which we act and we express our faith in the Lord. Two things the Lord has commanded us to do as symbols in the church. And one is the Lord's Supper and the other is baptism. Here recently we've seen several people come before and be baptized. I was sharing with somebody last week before I baptized and we were talking about why we do this. And I, I pointed out, I said, you know, this is a, I, I wouldn't have come up with this. This is a lot of hassle to baptize people. I mean, think about it for a moment. I don't know if you realize what this baptistry costs. It costs a lot to put it in. It costs a lot to maintain. It's a constant hassle. We have to fill it with water. We have to heat it. I have to leave the service and go put on waders and a robe, and then I baptize them, and half the time I get wet, and then I come back down, run back down here. And I mean, it's, it's a hassle. It really is. But, but why do we do it? Because the Lord commanded us to. It's the symbol that he gave us. And so we use the symbol that he gave because we believe. And so it is with the Lord's Supper. We celebrate the symbol because we believe that Jesus died for us. And then it was possible for us to be forgiven. The Jews had this celebration. It would become an annual celebration. Exodus 12, 14, listen to what it says. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. And that's why on that Thursday night, Jesus came together with his disciples. Because the Lord had commanded that this Passover would be celebrated every year as a reminder of what God had done in delivering them from ancient Egypt. And, and there's, there's so much rich meaning and symbolism. We don't have time to, to do more than just scratch the surface today as we overview what it means. But... Those people who had been in slavery and bondage were set free. And friend, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, if you come to believe and trust in him from the slavery and bondage of sin, you and I can be set free. And so this annual celebration, Jesus came together with his disciples on this Thursday night. In verses 20 through 25, Jesus reveals his foreknowledge of Judas's betrayal. You see, Jesus knew what was going to happen before it ever happened. Listen to what it says in verse 20. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. 
he, he reclined at the table because in, in ancient Israel, they didn't have chairs and they didn't build high tables. Tables were short and low to the ground and you lay down a mat and you lay down on the floor and you leaned up on, a, on an arm and you, and you ate with the other hand. This is the way that they ate. So that's why it says that he reclined at the table with the 12. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after other, is it I, Lord? You see, even the disciples do not yet know that Judas was a thief and that Judas would betray Jesus. He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. You see, Jesus knew of his coming arrest and his crucifixion. He knew before it would ever take place. Matthew 16, 21 tells us that early in Jesus' ministry, he is teaching his disciples about this. It says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Jesus knew everything that was going to happen. That's why at that Passover meal, before he had ever died, he was able to institute a ritual that would memorialize a death that had not yet happened because Jesus knows everything about the future. And he knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that he would be arrested. He knew that he would die. And he knew that on the third day he would rise again. And he taught this to his disciples. You see, Jesus died according to the Old Testament prophecies. Matthew chapter 26, verse 24 that we've been reading earlier here. It says, the Son of Man goes, notice this, as it is written of him. That is, as it is written of him in the Old Testament. Jesus died according to the Old Testament prophecies. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he emphasizes this to us. It says, For I deliver to you as of first importance with that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, and notice this phrase, in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and notice the phrase again, in accordance with with the scriptures you see god knew from the very beginning all that was going to take place he gave us this beautiful symbol of the passover and then he gave us old testament prophecies explaining and showing and so when jesus came that night with his disciples to celebrate the passover he was able to institute this meal to celebrate the culmination of what God was doing throughout history to bring about our salvation. And that brings us to verses 26 through 29 where Jesus explains the meaning of this supper for us. The Bible says here, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, Take, eat, and listen to these words. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. 
For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Some people have misunderstood this passage and taken it literal. There are those that believe that once you eat the bread and drink the juice, that they literally become the body and the blood of Christ. To come up with such an interpretation, we would have to ignore most of the Gospels. As Jesus constantly chastised people for confusing his teachings with literal things and not seeing the spiritual meaning behind them. Do you remember in John chapter 3 when Jesus was talking with a man named Nicodemus? And Jesus said to him that he must be born again. And Nicodemus said, that's crazy. A man can't go back into his mother's womb and be born again. Because Nicodemus couldn't get past the literal to understand that Jesus was teaching something spiritual. The next chapter over in John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking with a woman at the well. And he says, if you knew who was talking with you, you would ask of me and I would give you living water and you would never thirst again. And the woman said, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to get water out of this well? She, she couldn't get past the literal to see the spiritual meaning. I was reading in my Bible uh, this devotion time this morning when Jesus was talking with his disciples. And he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they started talking about bread. And Jesus chastised them. For not paying attention. And then it says, and then they understood that he was not talking about bread, but that he was talking about the teaching of the Pharisees. See, the Bible is rich with symbolism and imagery and metaphor because God, who created us, is such multifaceted beings. He speaks to us on so many different levels so that we might fully understand and comprehend. So when Jesus said that this juice becomes his blood and that the, body, the bread becomes his body, he did not mean that it transforms into a different substance. It's a symbol that we might understand that Jesus died for us and that he shed his blood so that we could have life. And when we eat the bread and we drink the juice, we remember this and we proclaim it. The Lord's Supper pictures a new covenant. Matthew 26, 28, it says, For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I want to share with you one last passage of scripture, Hebrews chapter 9 verses 22 through 28. The book of Hebrews explains the, the meaning of some of these symbols and shadows of the reality. It says in verse 22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but these heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So he's talking about the Old Testament things that were actually just copies of the reality in heaven. And so the Bible says in verse 24, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all 
at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. As we think about the Passover, we study the Passover, and we read about it to remember what God did in ancient Israel as he delivered his people. And we learn. We learn in that how God works. And we learn in that what's required for people to be saved. You see, the penalty of sin is death. And so for the Israelites to escape, there must be a substitute. And we see in Jesus, as Hebrews describes these things as copies of the reality, we see in Jesus the true sacrifice that came to save us. The one who would live an absolute perfect life that none of us have accomplished. He lived it for us. The one who did not deserve to die, although all of us do according to the Bible. The one who did not deserve to die, he died. And he died in our place. So the writer of Hebrews says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. That is, Jesus is coming again, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him today we celebrate the supper and we remember what jesus did for us because we are we are eagerly waiting for him let's pray together father i thank you for jesus who is our passover and what i pray that you give us faith to believe I pray that you give us insight to understand. 